Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, July 18th, 2021, speaking from the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Sharing with you because we're talking about Paul's, um, just why he always had such an awesome attitude in prison and, um, and just... How do you do that? Like, how do you have such a beautiful attitude? And I just was calling them the invisibles. It was because he was aware of invisible realities. And so the scripture I wanted to talk about was at the end of Philippians in chapter four, and I'm not really sure what verse it is, but it's where, is it around verse eight, where he says, don't be anxious. Just, why don't you just stop it? Be anxious for nothing. Lord, help us to understand it. Help us to understand how to stop. Sometimes I just want to know how to stop. And to know that we can, there's hope in that. There's been hope in that for me this week. We love you. Amen. Okay, so like three weeks ago on a Sunday, it was Sunday afternoon and Tina and I were at home and a lady knocked on our door and said, are those your cows out there? And I said, um, no, they belong to my neighbors, Dickie and Becky. And, they, and um, she said, well, there's a calf that has gotten separated. On, sometimes they can go through the fences and it's gotten separated. And so I called Dickie and I said, Dickie, are you missing a calf? And he said, we are missing with a calf. I've been looking for it for a few days. And uh, I said, well, the lady said, we're gonna go try to find it. So Dickie said, we're at the lake and so we'll be back in a couple hours. So we, Tina and I went out and we found this little calf and um, so I called Dickie and I said, what do I do? And he said, well, put it in with the other cows and they'll take care of it and, then, and see if they'll take care of it. And um, I said, how do you do that? And he said, uh, Tom, you just pick it up. So I, I've never picked a cow up before. And it took both of us, but we're just like, God, they're so slobbery. And the, but, and, um, but I just, so we picked up this calf and we put it inside the fence. And cows are like super curious. Like they're, like if you're doing something, like if you're having a, like, if you're having a cookout or something, they just crowd around and they watch you. And they're like, what are you cooking on that grill? But they, I don't know if it's that, but they're very curious. And so they all gathered around and they looked at this little calf, but none of them would claim it. And so, and I called Dickie and I said, they're not doing anything. And he said, well, I th- that was a twin. And sometimes cows will only accept one and the weaker one, they'll kind of just push it aside. And I was like, that ain't right. And then, so what do I do? What do you do? And he, I think he said, well, I have to bottle feed it. So I said, do you want us to take it down to your, down to your house? And so he said, that'd be great. So we took this cow and we just, you know, it was just kind of wobbly. We put it up in the bed of my truck and it was so, you know, limp and everything. And so, um, and then we drove it down to Dickie's house and then we got it out and then we thought, what do we do? So I thought, let's get a turkey baster. So um, we went in Dickie's house and they had about a gallon of milk. And so, um, but his eyes weren't open and everything. And so we got a turkey baster and we put a bucket, got filled this bucket with, with milk. And then, and then just, you know, it wouldn't really, and then also when it tasted it, its eyes opened up and it, it, it just sucked that whole thing out. And then when we got to 10, it just stood up. And then it stuck its head in the bucket and drank the bucket like a dog. And Tina said that's super rare for like calves to do. And it just drank. And so then Dickie said, well, we'll have to raise it, like do it, raise it that way. And he didn't have a place to put it up. So it's in our yard with our goats and chickens. And it's just like a puppy and he's so sweet. But the thing, I call him buddy, but I don't tell anybody that because I don't know what's going to happen to it. But um, <laughs> golly, you know, <laughs> but they, um, 
Yeah, I love the little guy, he's so sweet, but they, uh, but one thing about him is, he's just been so peaceful. Like he just, his face is always so peaceful and he's just been so sweet and peaceful. And I'm like, how are you not filled with anxiety? Your mother doesn't love you. Like your mother, your mother did not give you what you needed. She utterly did not give it to you, what you needed. And strangers are putting you in a truck and driving you away. How are you not like an anxious mess? And so one thing about cows that I was reading about is they're like, they're not super smart. Like goats, they were talking about goats, this experiment that they did where goats could work this a kind of a puzzle thing to get food out of this container. That was an experiment that was made for monkeys and goats can do it and they can do it with their nose and do it with their tongue. And they do it after about the fourth or fifth try, they figure it out. And if you bring them back 10 months later, they can do it on the first try. But cows aren't, th aren't really that way. And to be anxious, you have to be able to think ra ra reasonably. Like you have to have a lot of rational thinking like fear is your kind of instinctive response to a perceived or actual danger but anxiety is taking some an imagined situation that could be menacing to you or whatever projecting it into the future and going ahead and investing emotional energy in worrying about that like they said on the news this week news they said in 2030 something there could be catastrophic tidal waves because the moon has a wobble in it and I'm like, okay, you got, I mean, you have to understand like gravitational lunar and how that works with the tide and what a wobble would do. And I mean, I'm not smart enough to worry about that one right there, but if you were smart enough to understand it, you have like 14 years to be anxious about it. But the, so you have to be able to think, connect a lot of rational dots to be an anxious person. I just don't think cows can get to that place, but Paul just said, don't be anxious. Why don't you just stop? And I'm like, you can't really just say that, right? I mean, you could just, why don't you just quit? Just don't be anxious. You can't just tell somebody to don't be anxious, except that Jesus did it. I mean, 14 times in the gospels, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Why don't you just quit? And it's like, well, you can't just say, don't be anxious. I mean, you can't just say that. Well, one time, do you remember the time when Jesus was with his friends in a boat and he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And it was like in the middle of the night and they're like, we don't do this. And we know things maybe you don't know. And uh, there, was, there was a gigantic storm and Jesus was asleep and they, were, they said, and they woke him up and said, don't you care? We're about to die. You don't even care. We're about to die. And Jesus said, be quiet. In Greek, what he really said is shut up. But he wasn't talking to them. He was talking to the storm. And it's like, you can't tell a storm to shut up. Well, he did and it did. Um, he said to paralytics who had never walked in their life, get up and walk. Well, you can't tell a paralytic to get up and walk. Well, he did and they did. And he said, don't be afraid. Well, you can't just say, don't be afraid. Well, he did. What if I could? And so I, read, I was reading this book last year that this woman wrote about anxiety. And she said, Jesus doesn't want it. Why don't you stop it? And I've never appreciated that. Like, I've never, it's just, it feels insulting a little bit. Like, why don't you just stop it? But for some reason last year, there was hope in that. Like, it, it made me think, what if I could? What if it was as simple as that? It was, it was like out of that Christmas carol, 
It gave me a thrill of hope. What if I could just stop? Jesus told a storm to shut up and it did. He told paralytics to walk and they did. He tells me to stop it, to stop being afraid and anxious. What if I could? What if I can? What if you can? What if you can just stop it? Well, even if it is a choice, I'd like to have some reasons because, I mean, there's reasons why I'm anxious. Like people are anxious because they think it's beneficial. Like some people are anxious because they feel like it's their, it's their contribution to the overall effort and it would be irresponsible to not be anxious about stuff. And other people are anxious because they say nine out of 10 things that I worry about never happen. So it works pretty good. But uh, so this lady gave some reason. Here's, let me, she said, let me give you three reasons why you should stop it. And two out of three were terrible. Like her first reason was, the reason, the reason, I mean, she's a great writer, I like this lady, but she, she said, the first reason you should stop being anxious is because it's just sin. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That did not help me. I mean, John said in 1 John chapter four, he said, one, one of, the reason that people are, the reason people have problems with anxiety, one of the basic reasons is because they feel guilty. Like they feel, they feel guilt. Like John said, there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The reason people feel anxious is they just feel like, I don't know any, I'm not thinking of any specifics, but I've not been the person I should have been. I've just done stuff. And I kind of deserve bad things to happen to me. I don't know what, I don't know when, but I just kind of am ready for bad stuff to happen. So if, if people are anxious because of guilt and then you tell them they should feel guilty about that, I mean, you're piling on. It's like, so let's say that anxiety and worry is technically classified as a sin. My sins are gone. Hello. I mean, you know, when you believe in Jesus, you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. It doesn't matter. I mean, I remember talking to a girl from Texas A&M in Italy one time. She came to a Bible study and she, we were talking about what it means to be a Christian. And, and I told her, I said, I said this, you know, I told her what Jesus did and she was super confused. Why Jesus died that way and he rose from the dead. And if you trust in him, he forgives you for everything you've ever done, do or will do. And she said, I thought he just forgave you for what you did up until you believe in him. And then after that, it's up to you to limit the damage and clean up whatever mess you make. And I was like, no, 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 that will never work. And I said, Betsy, when you trusted in, when Jesus, so you believe Jesus paid for your past sins, but not your future sins. And she said, basically, I said, when he died for you that day, how many of your sins were in the future to him? And she said, all of them. Oh, like, hello, he died for all of them. You know, this is one thing, uh, not only are we forgiven, but Paul said, he uses the word justified. When you trust in Jesus, you're justified, which means God pronounces you righteous. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And it was so. In the beginning, God said, let the waters above be separated from the waters below. And it was so. In the beginning, God said, let the birds fill the heavens and let fish and swimming things fill the seas. And it was so. And God said, let this one be righteous. And it was and is so. This is, I mean, I've shared with you guys this a bunch of times, but it's just a thought that's been super helpful to me. It's kind of a grammatical thought. But when it says in the New Testament and it says in the Gospels that God forgives us our sins, 
he doesn't forgive you. He forgives your sins. Forgiveness is not a passive verb, it's an active verb. And the direct, uh, the direct object of that action is not you, but your sins. You are the indirect object. I mean, there's ways that, in the way that it's written in Greek, it will tell you which one is the direct object and which one is the indirect object. Like if you say, show me it, tell me it, give me it. It is the direct object and to me, me is the indirect object. And so God, I, I've checked out every one of these in the Greek New Testament and it's, it's always this way. God forgives your sins for you. The word forgive is the basic meaning of the word is to let go, to leave alone, to send away. He doesn't send you away. He sends your sins away. He doesn't let you go. He lets your sins go because he loves you and he's keeping you. The word forgive is a word that's translated a lot of ways in the New Testament. It's, it's the word that's translated when it says that Jesus sent evil spirits out of the gathering. They could no longer threaten him. It's the same word, the word send away, that's translated forgive. It's the word that's used of the fever that Jesus sent out of Peter's mother-in-law. It could no longer hurt her. It's the same word that's used of the Samaritan woman who left a water jar by a well because she had found better water and she wanted to tell all of her friends and that old water didn't matter anymore. When he forgives us our sins, they can't threaten us anymore. They can't hurt us anymore. They don't matter to us anymore. The one who forgives my sins is the one who loves me and he's, he's never gonna let me go. He's never going to send me away. Hey, that's a reason to not be anxious. The one who loves me is going to hold on to me. That's a good reason to stop. Her second reason was the reason that you should stop being anxious is that your anxiety is offensive to God. I'm like, oh, brother. I mean, it's like offense. It's offensive. I mean, offensive is Offensive is worse than disappointed. Like, so when you're disappointed, it's when you get something that you didn't expect. When you're offended, you're shocked by that. I am shocked by that. I, I am shocked that you would do that. I am shocked that you would say that. I did not see that coming. Did, is, is there anything that Jesus does not know is coming? He, is, he knows every stupid thing I'll ever think, every stupid anxious thought I'll ever think, every failure I'll ever fall into, every mess I'll ever make. When I make a mess, is he disappointed? No, because to be disappointed means you expected something that didn't happen, or you didn't expect something that happened. He knows everything that is going to happen to you and me. He knows everything that's out there in front of us. Jesus told his guys on the night that it happened, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter said, these doofuses, I mean, I could see that, but I never will. In fact, in Mark, it said he was said it over and over. I never will. I never will. And in John 13, at the end of the chapter, Jesus said, Peter, truly, truly, verily, verily, or if it had been me, I would have said, do you want to put some money on this? Um, but he said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But the next thing he said is, don't let your heart be troubled. 
you believe in God, you believe in me, I know all about it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I know things about you that you have no idea. I know everything that is gonna happen and everything that is out there. Hey, that's a great reason to not be anxious, that the one who forgives me because he loves me and he's never gonna send me away and he's never gonna let me go, knows everything that is going to happen in my life and yours. I don't need to be anxious. He already knows all about it. The third reason that she gave, I thought was a good one. She said, the reason you shouldn't be anxious is because it feels terrible. And I do agree with that. I think it feels terrible. I hate the feeling of anxiety. I think God designed it that way. I think it's part of God's design that um, anxiety, panic, depression, bitterness, I think he designed them to feel terrible. It's, it's kind of like a toothache. It's like physical pain. It's an emotional pain. Like if you get a toothache, that is God's design. It's his way of telling you, you're not supposed to feel your teeth. So if you feel one, you're really kind of not supposed to feel your heartbeat. If you feel your heart beating in a tooth and it feels terrible, it's, I'm telling you, it's my way of telling you, you need to get that fixed. And if, you know, if a person feels anxiety or you know, panic attacks or whatever, and it's God's way of saying, it's not supposed to feel like this. And the reason that it feels gross, I mean, and the reason that it's super unpleasant, Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, he said, um, don't say anything yucky about people. Like, don't talk about people or say bad things about them or criticize them or any of that stuff. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of promise by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like, you have Almighty God, the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so if you say something yucky, the reason you feel yucky is, and yuckier than you used to before you accepted Jesus. I mean, like a lot of people feel awesome when they say that stuff. But the reason you don't is that Almighty God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And it makes him feel yucky. And so you think it's you feeling yucky, but it's really him feeling yucky. And in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, your counselor, your, um, your advocate, he's been with you, but he's going to be inside of you. And through him, Almighty God, the Father, and Almighty God, the Son, Jesus, are also going to be inside of you. And we're never, ever going to leave. We're never, ever going to leave you alone. You're never going to be alone again. That's a great reason not to be anxious. I, I, can, I can make up my mind to stop it because the God who loves me is never gonna send me away, send my sins away, but he's keeping me. And he's never disappointed or surprised by anything that's out there in front of me because he knows everything that's coming. And he's never ever gonna make me go through anything by myself. He's with me the whole time. I think I'm gonna stop. Lord Jesus, um, thanks. I don't know how people live without you. 
I don't know how. I, th this world is so scary, life itself. Just as I was reading a woman say, Dorothy Day, saying that we live in a world of precarity. Anything could happen. How could you live in a world where anything could happen without having you, without being loved by you, without having you ahead of us, going ahead of us, and you inside of us, never leaving us alone. Thank you for the beauty of what we believe in your precious Brothers name. Sisters, that's what this song is about. And this is something worth singing about. I want you to sing this like you mean it. We're gonna go all the way back to the start and sing about the fact that God has made up his mind on us. Sing this with me. When I mess things up, it's easy to think. You've made where you see me And you say yes You've made up your mind That I am accepted Made up your mind That I'm without blame You've made up your mind That I am wanted You've made up your mind Help me to do the same It's easy to think you feel the same, but you took the cross to take me in. 